Hello, welcome to our online Westlake service. My name is Reese, and today we're back in the book of James, looking at James chapter 3. Now, James wasn't a doctor, but he's going to show us the symptoms, the diagnosis, and cure for our tongues. Before we get to that, first he starts with this special warning to teachers. Now, churches are often looking for Sunday school teachers or youth leaders to teach or others to teach in the church. So this is quite the start by James to say in verse one, not many of you should become teachers. You wanna teach in church? Don't even think about it. <laughs> of course, that's not what he's really saying here. If you're called by God to teach, he's not trying to put you off, but he is trying to put off those called for the wrong reasons. If you want to teach in church, it's a serious business because those who teach, verse 1 tells us, will be judged to a higher standard. Teachers are responsible. They're seen, they're looked up to. Teaching others is an important responsibility. Are we living out what we teach or are we being hypocritical? And of course, the tongue hurts the most. If you think back to your teachers from school, or even university, you can probably remember the things that they said to you or your school friends. Maybe you remember a cutting remark that stuck with you even to this day. Or maybe it was an encouraging word that really helped you along. Those who teach leave an impression on us. They have influence over us. And that's why this first warning comes to teachers. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, this doesn't apply to me. I'm never going to stand in front of a rabble of youth and teach them while they scratch their heads and pick their noses. But we all teach others around us in a different way. Just because you don't teach from the front, it doesn't mean that we can't learn from this verse. Think how society is changing. You don't have to stand at the front with a blackboard to be a teacher now. We all teach others even when we don't mean to at times. Think about social media. Everyone is trying to teach others on how to live, how to cook, how to dress. Being an influencer is now a full-time career for many. Whether we play it down or accept it, we all have influence with our words. And that's why it's important that we understand what James teaches us about the power of our tongues, which James helps us with in the next verses with this series of vivid images. I don't know how you feel when you think back to how you use your tongue or your words. I'm sure many of us feel guilty because it's so easy to say something that we wish we could take back. Do we join in in the office when a joke gets out of hand? When we share someone's news because we care but we're actually gossiping? How often do we slander or banter or let ourselves and Christ down by the way that we talk? What James is getting at in verse 2 is that if you can control the tongue, then you can control anything. But there's only been one man able to control his tongue, our Lord Jesus, because he was perfect. No deceit was found on his lips. Yet for us, we continue to stumble through situations and be led into trouble by our tongues. Verse 3, James uses the example of a horse. You know, a thoroughbred racehorse can weigh close to half a ton 
at between 1,000 and 1,100 pounds in weight, and yet it is directed where to go by a bit, usually a D bit or a rim bit, that weighs around two pounds. Such power, such speed directed by something so small. And then he goes on to talk about a ship which is much bigger than a horse, directed by a small rudder. However big we are, James is emphasising the point that these small fleshy tongues lead us through life. This image of the boat is quite poignant because whatever storms we might come across, whatever challenges in life that we face, this little rudder can lead us into them or out of them. Tongues can lead us to do good or to do evil. But James's warning about what we say with our tongues is about to get more serious in this next illustration, fire. Now it's Pentecost Sunday and the reminder of fire at Pentecost is the wonderful celebration of when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples from heaven as tongues of fire. Yet James's opposite use of the imagery gives us a stark contrast where he warns us that the words from our tongues can lead us to the fires of hell. Verse 5 and 6. One of the things that I've enjoyed since moving to Switzerland is cooking sausages on a fire. It makes picnics so much more interesting, except when you drop a sausage into the fire and it gets ruined, it gets burnt up, and then you're left with a sandwich instead of a hot dog. Fire destroys quickly. A small spark can cause devastation, burning everything in its path. James says that the tongue has the power to cause this kind of damage. The tongue, verse 6, is a world of unrighteousness, meaning that the tongue can give voice to everything that is evil and wicked in the world. One small word from our lips can cause widespread destruction. Relationships can be destroyed and friendships burnt down by a few words said behind someone's back that are found out. Not just for now either, but words continue to hurt years later, don't they? Social media is rife with destructive words that when they get shared or retweeted cause much trouble. There have been cases of people being fired for what they've said online years ago. And there was news recently that the social media platform Twitter piloted a programme telling users to be nice and think twice before replying. Before someone sends an offensive tweet, a prompt would come up asking if they really want to send it and why they shouldn't. And the tests found that they reduced the number of offensive replies by 34% of people revisiting their initial reply or deciding not to send it at all. It would be good for all of us to think twice and be nice before we speak, wouldn't it? Or as James said in chapter one, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Imagine what a difference it could make. This little golden frog is between 1.5 and six centimetres long. And you may think it's cute, but each one has enough poison to kill 10 grown men. They might be small, but they're quite possibly the most poisonous animals alive. The tongue may be small, but in verse seven to eight, James tells us 
then it's deadly. And not only that, but it can't be tamed. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Maybe you know someone or you are someone who has a large spider or a poisonous snake as a pet. James would say, you know, that's fine because every kind of animal can be tamed or subdued by mankind. But he says that what is even more dangerous than having a poisonous spider living in your bedroom is your tongue in your mouth. Most people, myself included, if they found a poisonous animal, would take the precautions to get rid of it. But what are we to do with our poisonous tongues though? We can't get rid of our tongues and we can't tame them either. We all know what it's like to speak irritably, angrily, unkindly. And the thing is, we just keep on doing it. One of the things that makes me cringe as a parent is when I hear my children speaking to one another as I have spoken to them in a moment of anger or impatience. Do I really sound like that? It's a sure way to get me to think about how I'm using my tongue. How often do we stop and think about how we speak to others? One example of not being able to tame the tongues is our inconsistency by which we speak. James mentions this in verse 9 and 10. As we use our tongues to bless and to curse. One moment maybe you're in your car singing an upbeat, soul-moving worship song and the next moment you're honking your horn and shouting angrily at the driver of the car that just swerved in front of you off the slip road without indicating. Whether the indicator works or not or whether they used it or not, they're all made in the image of God and therefore our speech should reflect that, how we reply to others or think about others. Now James has just given us a long list of symptoms of the problems that we have with our tongue. But here in verse 11 and 12, he comes to the diagnosis. The problem is that at the source, just like a salt pond can't give fresh water, neither can an evil heart speak good. Our tongue disease is caused by our spiritual heart disease. Jesus says in Luke 6 verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. When your heart sees or feels something it doesn't like it lashes out with the tongue. Just think about the last time you got into trouble with your words. What was going on in your heart? If we want to know about our spiritual heart health, then we should evaluate our speech, for it's our words that give us away. One of the biggest problems of the churches that James was writing to is that they were becoming divided. The early church, having dealt with persecution and poverty, have now ended up splitting after quarrelling with each other. And James is warning them in his letter that they're failing to put their faith into practice. If they say they believe, yet their tongues are not impacted by their faith, 
then what is really going on in their hearts? And that same challenge is relevant for us today. So we've looked at the symptoms and we've heard the diagnosis. And to finish in this last section, James gives us the cure. There's a saying that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Knowledge and wisdom are different. Knowledge is about something in your head, but wisdom is about living it out. Who's the wisest person that you know? And what is it about them that makes them wise? James teaches us that wisdom is a way of life. It's about our character. Those who are wise show it by the way that they act and the way that they speak. I can think of people in my life who've really influenced me, especially in ministry. They're so wise that I just wanted to hang on their every word, not because of what they said, but how they said it. They were humble, loving God and others, not trying to bring attention to themselves by saying something knowledgeable or clever. In these verses, James teaches us that the source of our speech can be worldly wisdom or wisdom from above. And they look starkly different, with different motivations, and they produce very different outcomes. First then, worldly wisdom. If we think of ourselves and are serving ourselves above everything else, if we're full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, then we're going to be like a volcano erupting hot anger, sarcastic remarks and lies. And we become hypocrites boasting and bearing false witness. James tells us that no good comes of it. It brings disorder and every vile practice. If we as members of the body speak with unpure motives and for personal gain, then it's going to lead to chaos and division in the church. And in verse 15, James's list goes from bad to worse. If our hearts are ruled by earthly wisdom, then that is not only worldly, but completely sensual and evil. Do we speak to make ourselves look clever or powerful or to get ahead of the game? Why do we use our tongue in the way we do? Maybe the way you're, that you use your words is part of your self-image. Maybe you're the, the funny person who actually leads, leads us to belittle others. We can make excuses for saying something in anger, can't we? But the truth is that it comes from the heart. Thankfully, though, there's another way because of Jesus' redeeming work at the cross, and that is to fill our hearts with wisdom from above. The next wisdom, godly wisdom. In complete contrast to worldly wisdom, those who have godly wisdom show meekness. Now that doesn't mean weakness, it means humility and a complete reliance on God, freeing you from anxious self-promotion Meekness is the complete opposite to pride. It's not caring what others think. Not only is the motivation different, but also the fruits are too. Verse 17, purity, peace, gentleness, 
being open to reason, quick to listen, mercy, impartiality and sincerity. If our hearts are changed by God's wisdom, which he promises to give us if we ask in faith, then our whole lives will be changed, our actions and our speech. How wonderful would it be to have our speech described with this list of qualities? It starts with a change of heart and it's a lifelong treatment plan. So even though we can't perfectly tame our tongues for now, with wisdom we can use them for good, choosing to use our tongue to heal rather than harm. James isn't telling us not to teach or to talk, but to let Jesus change our hearts because a change of heart leads to a change of tongue. James started this chapter by addressing teachers. And the main thing to remember is, don't do it for the wrong reasons. Don't teach to look good or for power or to impress a guy or a girl. It's not to be seen to be more spiritual either. You do it because you love Jesus and you love others and you want them to grow and learn and you want to grow and learn in the gifting that God's given you. So it's important that your heart motivation is not selfish ambition or pride. Let's use words to encourage, to build up, to comfort and to be interested in one another. And most of all, let's speak gospel words, speaking the good news to those around us and encouraging believers in their faith. As we speak, we can think, is what we're saying true? Is it necessary? And is it helpful? Verse 18, James tells us that. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If we promote peace in the church, then we can all grow in righteousness together. And as we speak out of godly wisdom to the younger generations, they can grow in righteousness. And so it continues, peaceful words leaving a lasting legacy. To conclude, we've seen what the symptoms are, we've heard the diagnosis, and we got to the cure, that it's Jesus working in our hearts through the Holy Spirit to make us new, to bring about this change deep from within that then affects how we speak. Let's not forget the sobering truth about our tongues. They're made deadly by our sinful nature. But praise God, let's delight in God's saving and sanctifying grace, which changes our hearts and tongues. We are all God's first fruits and we should seek his wisdom to use our tongues in a way that pleases him and that's different to the world. So let's feed our hearts from God's word so that our tongues may benefit and we may pour out love, grace, peace and mercy from our mouths to bless God and bless others.